When Aisha Salahuddin turned 13, her parents sent her to a boarding school hours away from home in Lagos, Nigeria. I was just nervous. I was like, is it going to be good or bad? Will I make friends? Will I get used to it? So I was just, I guess, afraid of not knowing what was going to happen. There had been political instability in the city where she'd grown up, and her parents thought she'd get a better education in Lagos. That first night, she claimed the bottom bunk bed in her dorm and walked into a neighboring room, where she saw one of her new classmates unpacking. The suitcase that she had was so big. It was like twice the size of mine, and... You know, it was so pretty. Mine was just like a random black suitcase, right? But hers had this like super pretty designs and like it had like ribbons on the sides. And I was like, oh my God, how much stuff do you need? It's just three months. Aisha noticed the girl taking out multiple pairs of shoes. She was confused. They only needed one pair for class and it's not like they were allowed to leave campus. And then there was this particular one and it had like a bow and it was sparkly and then it had a little bit of heels. Mm. Aisha's shoes were basic black flats from a local shop. The girl was talking about her shoes to another classmate. And I remember um, she was saying, oh yeah, I got this in France over um, last summer. And I was like, what? You guys have been to France? I've never been on a plane. Standing there, eavesdropping on their exchange, Aisha realized that these kids were just different. She started to wonder. Oh wow, wait, are we poor? So it sort of, you know, kick-started my major, I guess, money crisis phase. I don't know what to call it. Mm. Lifelong money anxiety? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Eddie Mejeres, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a show for Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. Aisha is a listener who wrote in. She told us since she was a kid, she's felt anxiety around money. This week, we dive into her past to better understand how our first encounters with money can shape so much of what comes after. As Aisha settled into her new boarding school, you could say she underwent a sort of culture shock. Because everyone else was so much richer. No one was from, like, the rural areas like I was. So it was a sharp contrast, and I immediately got that vibe. It was like, everyone was like, don't laugh too much. Um, wear your socks right. Iron your school uniform every day. This was nothing like Joss, the hilly northern Nigerian city where she'd grown up. The kids in her neighborhood came from all kinds of financial situations, and no one seemed to care or really even notice. Aisha considered her family middle class. Her parents had a home and two cars. Her mom was getting a master's degree, and her dad was a salesman for a milk producer. But with her new classmates, this was something she'd never seen before. Actual wealth. They just seemed to have so much stuff. She'd overhear them talking about their 12-bedroom mansions and their shiny new bikes. Because I didn't have those things and I couldn't relate. So which meant I didn't have a lot of friends. So I was like, oh my God, I'm, am I in the wrong place? The differences showed up everywhere in what they wore, what they watched. Aisha hadn't grown up with cable like the other girls. So whenever they talk about music or TV shows, she just nod along. But one day, she was sitting in class during a free period. And then um, sometimes kids have fun, right? Sometimes we just, someone is drumming on the table and we all start to sing. And so, like, my classmate was singing the song. As everyone else sang along... 
Aisha sat quietly. And the girl who started this whole thing turned around and suddenly zeroed in on her. She was like, oh my God, Aisha has never heard of this song. Do you know who sang it? And I think at the time, the only artist that I really cared about was Destiny's Child. So I said, Destiny's Child. And oh my God, she was like, Destiny's what? The whole class erupted in laughter. They'd actually been singing We Need a Resolution by Aaliyah, which was not to be confused with Destiny's Child if you were 13 in the early 2000s. And there was just so much laughter. Some people were like gasping, like, she doesn't know the song. And others were like, why would it be Destiny's Child? And others were just laughing. Mm. And I was just like, oh, God, I should have just not said anything. Aisha just sat there frozen. So I was holding in the tears. And I know Mm. what I remember really well was me going to the bathroom and just bawling my eyes out. Afterwards, in the hallways of the school, it became this whole thing to remind Aisha that she was the girl who had never heard of Aaliyah or the song Resolution. So like the other kids, I think they heard um, what happened. And sometimes, like maybe I would walk past and someone would whisper, Resolution, you know, something like that, just to piss you off. When Aisha got home for the holidays that semester, she had a lot of questions for her parents. Why hadn't she ever left the country? Could they buy her a new bicycle? Or what about the Harry Potter books? And of course, the most important question, could they please get cable? I made them pay for cable. And I was like, Dad, you have to pay for this. And I was like, it's something for school. I need to watch some shows and write an essay about it. And then he was like, oh, okay. She spent all of her holiday break watching High School Musical on Disney. Everyone at school was obsessed with it. I mean, so was I. So Aisha wanted to be ready. But when she got back, she noticed something Cable wouldn't fix. The other girls had way bigger allowances, like a lot bigger. She says they would get about 30,000 naira every month from their parents, the equivalent of about 230 bucks at the time. Meanwhile, she'd be getting closer to 5,000 naira, a sixth of what everyone else got. Oh my God, it was, it was just so lonely. I felt like I couldn't talk to anyone about my own experiences. And at some point I was angry, you know, at myself, I was like, why don't I know these things? Like, why, why have I missed out on, on, on all of this? Aisha thought if she just had access to the same things her classmates did, maybe she wouldn't feel so separate from them. One evening, her bunkmates were all lounging around the dorm when someone from a neighboring room walked in. And she was basically ranting about how she didn't want to have to go all the way downstairs to get a bucket of water to wash her clothes. Aisha mentioned, well, I'm going to go downstairs to get my bucket of water soon. And then she said, oh, please, can you help me and I'll pay you? I was like, wait, so you're going to pay me to get you a bucket of water? Because it felt so ridiculous. It's just a bucket of water. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And she said, I'll give you 1,000 naira. I was like, no, you give me 2,000 naira. What? You're like, okay. (laughs) You're trying to negotiate? (laughs) Okay. The girl handed over the 2,000 naira, nearly half of what Aisha usually got in a month from her parents. She realized if she could just capitalize on the chores her classmates didn't want to do, she could make easy cash. So the next day, she went room to room soliciting new customers. I was like, who needs a bucket of water but doesn't want to go downstairs? And every, literally, like, I think about six people in the room. And, and did it feel weird at all to ask for money for something like that? No, honestly, I wasn't thinking about how weird the city was. I was literally just thinking, I'm going to get money. I'm going to get as much money as my friends. 
From that point on, it became her mission to do whatever it took to close the cash gap between her and her friends. So it just became a thing. Everyone knew that if they needed to get a bucket of water, it was Aisha. If they needed to get their hair, you know, braided, it was Aisha. But you have to pay me double what the hairdressers would have charged, stuff <laughs> you like that. You have to pay so, me double. <laughs> yeah. I could literally get money for doing nothing, for, for doing the bare minimum. So Whoa. rich kids had, like, money to, to spare. So that right. was helpful. She would tell people to meet her in the common room at midnight so she could conduct her business out of view of the school supervisors. The girls were required to have their hair braided, and Aisha was good at that. So she had a handful of clients who she charged up to 500 naira. Pretty soon, she was making a lot of cash. In the first month, I made 35,000 naira. So that was 30,000 more than what I used to get. Wow. She was supposed to store her money with the supervisors, but she was not about to risk them disrupting her underground economy of hair braiding. So instead, she'd stash it at the bottom of this big red checkered travel bag she kept in her room, hidden from sight. I didn't feel out of place. So when everyone was talking about Mm -hmm. money and how much they had and what they were going to get, I could actively participate in those conversations, knowing that I could also afford it. So the feeling of just knowing that I was a part, in quotes, made me feel so good. Having the money made her feel like she could hold up her head a little higher, blend in with this well-heeled crowd. For the first time since she'd been dropped off in Lagos, she was experiencing something close to a sense of belonging. I would just open the stash, you know, once in a while, look at it, smile, and go back. It just felt good knowing that I had it. And the thing is, she didn't need this money. Her meals were covered, and it's not like she had rent to pay. She didn't even really know what to spend it on. She says she bought a few Coca-Colas and not much else. But for Aisha, the money went from having a tangible value to having an emotional one. And soon, the thing that was supposed to be the solution started to create a new problem. Money had become an obsession. Oh my God, so because I was constantly always thinking up new ways to get money, it just really made me more anxious about money. So whenever I didn't have that stash, I would start to panic like, oh my God, I really need to get money. Even if I didn't have any use for it, do you get what I mean? I would call my dad like, I need money. And he would, you know, as a dad, he would be like, what do you need money for? I'd be like, I don't know, I just need it. As she and her classmates grew older, got a little more mature, the teasing mostly stopped. But Aisha found herself still fixated on money, on chasing this feeling of belonging. Because at some point, the kids didn't really care anymore. Right. Whether or not I was, like, listening to the latest music or whether or not I was a part of the group. Everyone grew up. But I think I had gotten so used to it that I started feeling like I needed to prove something to myself when nobody mm-hmm. else really cared anymore. For Aisha, the years following high school were a blur of deepening money anxiety. Even when she graduated and went to college in the UK, the obsession followed her. And for a while, she would channel her old tricks, braiding hair for cash and selling things like coffee. Except now she had very real expenses to worry about, groceries and transportation and rent. She got a few odd jobs, but nothing really stuck. Her parents helped as much as they could with three other kids to support. Sometimes Aisha would have to ask friends for food or she'd just rely on her go-to, cooking pasta with ketchup. After years of worrying about money, even though she didn't really need it, now her worries had teeth. 
As soon as she graduated college, Aisha moved back to Nigeria with dreams of becoming a journalist. She moved in with her parents to save on rent and food. And so it was a huge deal when she landed her first big reporter job. It was 2019, and she'd spent the last three years working towards this moment. Yeah. Do you remember when you got that first paycheck? I got it, and it was like, oh my God. I kept checking the alerts, like the email from the bank. She'd be earning about $2,000 a month, nearly eight times more than her last job. She was sitting at her new desk in the office when the first deposit hit her account. So I kept looking at it, um, checking my phone, checking my phone and smiling, trying not to be too loud and uh, in the office. I remember texting my dad Mm -hmm. from my desk to say, oh my God, I got my first salary. I'm so excited. And he texted back. He was like, I'm so proud of you. Mm. Get it. And I was like, oh, okay. It was so, (laughs) it was such a good feeling. For once, she thought money is no longer going to be the driver of my life. Just knowing that this is my own money, I'm never going to have to ask my parents for money again. I'm not working. I felt so good. I felt like it's the first time I felt like like a proper adult. And so emotionally, were you feeling better about your anxieties around money? I was to a certain extent. I'm not even going to pretend Mm -hmm. I felt really um, better but so there was this weird thing that I noticed had started happening my I was still worrying about money but it was Mm. for different reasons coming up after the break Aisha tries to confront the anxiety head on Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy. For the first time in her life, Aisha was totally self-sufficient. She had more than enough money in her accounts. She was able to save and afford what she needed. She got herself a car and eventually moved out of her parents' place. Even though she was making more money than she'd ever imagined, her brain found ways to worry about it anyway. That's the thing about anxiety. It can't always be quieted by reality. Part of the problem was that she was earning in dollars, But to pay for stuff in Nigeria, she needed Naira. So converting the money would involve a time-consuming visit to the bank. It wasn't a huge deal, but it left her constantly worried. These thoughts would creep into her head. What if her car breaks down and she doesn't have any Naira in her account? Or her mom needs money, but she can't get to the bank? I can't immediately reach my money. What's going to happen? My money anxiety didn't stop. It just became about something else. Even though there was no sign that she would lose her money... It always felt like she was just on the brink, like she was constantly just about to fall off the financial cliff. Getting to a good place financially hadn't stopped her anxiety. It just opened a whole new frightening possibility. I have money, but what if it disappears? I'm I'm not kidding. I'm always thinking about money. Like when I say this, people think I'm joking. I feel like money is haunting me. (laughs) Yeah, and and just so I have a sense, like when you say you're always thinking about money, is it like, 
and you're in the shower and you're thinking about it before you go to sleep, you're thinking about it while you're cooking. Are you thinking about it? Or is it not like that? No, it's like that. Oh, it's like that. It's yeah. I just, I feel like money is taking over my life. It all came to a head when in December of last year, Aisha found out that her friend had tested positive for COVID. This friend had come over a few days earlier, so Aisha needed to find a test for her and her husband fast. She sat down on the living room couch with a notepad and started calling every lab she could find. They all told her a single test would cost 50,000 naira, the equivalent of about $120. She was banging on her keyboard, talking out loud to herself. Why is this so expensive? Why, why does it cost this much? What is happening? Like, how will I pay for all of this? And I started, like, spiraling. I was like, oh, my God, I don't have any money to pay for this. I don't know if my husband has any money at this moment. And I just started overthinking it, like, I'm going to die of COVID because I wouldn't be able to afford the drugs. She closed her laptop, looked up at the ceiling, and suddenly realized that her breathing was really shallow. I was like, what is happening? Is this a panic attack? And I was like, oh, my God, what's happening? Her husband heard her and came out to where she was sitting. He didn't know what was going on. I was just like trying to breathe and he was just sort of calming me down. He was like, okay, breathe, relax, um, take deep breaths. And then I really just, you know, I was like trying to control my breathing. He was there like throughout and just talking me through it. It was so scary. Her panic attack that day wasn't about potentially getting COVID. It was about accessing the money to treat COVID if they got sick. And the thing is, Aisha did have the money in her account, and plenty more. It was going to be tricky to get it, but she had it. And yet on a scale of 1 to 10, her anxiety levels about money felt like they were at a 25. By this point, Aisha realized she was no longer calling the shots of her life. Money was. And it just feels really stressful, like attaching like my happiness or stuff to money. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to get to a point where... I'm not constantly thinking about money. Desperate to feel better, Aisha did what many of us do when we have a problem but don't know how to solve it. She went to Google. Oh, yeah. So Google was like, um, listen to a podcast, get a um, spending app and manage your costs, figure out like how much you need in a month and stick to it. I'm like, thanks. I should have thought of that. Google was giving her tangible solutions, but her problem didn't feel like a tangible one. And besides, she's tried a lot of the budgeting hacks. Really, it felt like there was just one solution she hadn't tried. The only thing we haven't tried really is therapy. And I think that's what I'm going to do next. I feel like I need to talk to, you know, a professional that can really help me. I've just been really embarrassed because I'm like, I can't believe I'm going to therapy because of this. For a long time, I was always like, Because of how people made it seem, I always feel like, oh, therapy is for really serious, deeply traumatizing issues. So I'm still trying to, like, unlearn all of that. I told her that on this podcast, I've talked with financial therapists, you know, professionals who help people with these exact problems. And I asked her if she wanted me to connect her with one. It's just a thought that popped in my head. But you can say no. (laughs) You know when you've had enough and you're like... At this point, I would do anything. Yeah. So I would, like, be open because that's where I am right now. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I I need help. (laughs) Well, okay. Um, This took a turn that I didn't expect, but um, (laughs) let's try it out. Yeah. What do I have to lose? Nothing. 
Hello. Hi, nice to see you. <laughs> On a Thursday afternoon, we arranged a Zoom session with Aisha and Lindsay Bryan Podvin. Aisha, can you hear me okay? Yes. Wonderful. Lindsay is a financial therapist based in Michigan who specializes in money anxiety. I have cross-training in the psychological side of money. This, of course, was not true therapy for several reasons, but mostly because it wasn't private. But Aisha was down to talk on mic with the therapist. Lindsay told Aisha that all of us, more or less, fall into one of four big money categories— Money avoidance, money status, money vigilance, and money admiration. And Lindsay had an idea where Aisha landed. Would it be okay if I told you some information about the admirer? Yes. It does sound like me. So the admirer is a person who, as the name implies, admires money. The idea of having money provides them with a sense of security. They have a hard time not thinking about money. And it can seem good on the surface. These are folks that tend to be entrepreneurs like you were, you know, braiding people's hair and selling coffee. But the underbelly of falling into this admirer money script is that these folks tend to feel like they can't ever get enough. Lindsay says that for money admirers, the goalpost for what constitutes enough money tends to move each time you reach it. Like, at first you'll tell yourself, all right, if I just had $500 more, then I'll be okay. Then you go and make $500 and go, oh no, I don't need $500, I need $1,000, then I'll be okay. And on and on and on. The problem is that the more that they have, it doesn't create that same sense of security that it used to. Oh my God, yes, that honestly sounds exactly like me. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes with these folks... Because they don't have a why behind the reason that they want more money, they don't really get that fulfillment in the way that other folks might. I was having the same conversation with my husband this morning. I told him I was going to do this call. And I said, I know they're probably going to ask why I'm so obsessed with money and I don't know what I'm going to say. And he's like, well, yeah, why are you so obsessed with money? Like, what do you need it for? And I couldn't, like, say what I needed it for. Because the need for money has become unmoored from a specific purpose, it's turned into a loop of needing more money because she needs more money because she needs more money because, well, you get the point. But Lindsay says by identifying a concrete why behind her money goals, by grounding it, that can help dial down the feeling of anxiety money admirers experience. So the aim isn't just about making more money for the sake of money. It's about saving for a vacation or a new car. So, yeah, I think what you're saying helps in the sense that I can sort of, I guess, make a list and say, OK, I'm saving up X, Y, Z amount. It sounds so basic. I don't know why I never thought of it. It does sound really like a good idea for me. Mm. Like, thank you for saying that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. So first of all, it's, it's not basic. Hardly anybody is taught about money or about our relationship to money. Lindsay also said that if the core issue is feeling a lack of security and comfort and a sort of unconscious belief that only money can give her that security and comfort, that a way to counteract that is to very consciously attach those feelings to non-financial things. So once Aisha has a wider base of reasons to feel secure, one missed bank transfer may seem less precarious. Aisha said, okay, things that make me feel comfortable and secure that aren't money, 
Well, telling stories as a journalist, for one. Also, cooking and watching Netflix with my husband. So we can start saying things like, oh, when I'm watching TV, I'm really feeling secure. Like, I'm, I'm on my couch, I'm cozied up, I'm enjoying this. Ooh, when I'm making my food and, you know, I can share it with my loved ones and my friends, I feel really accepted. And what we are trying to do is build some new pathways for our brain to find acceptance and security and and comfort outside of money. She says it's not just about doing it once when you're anxious, but doing it over and over again all the time to really internalize the message. Lindsay said that Aisha's boarding school experience, the timing of it, probably helps explain why her anxieties are so deeply ingrained. At that uncomfortable age, 13, 14, our brains are working on overdrive to fit in, more than during any other period of our lives. And one of the easiest ways to signal to others that you belong is by matching or mirroring them. So for you to, for example, want the same type of braids as other girls in your school, or for you to want the same shoes as other people in your school, was a way for you to signal to them, hey, I belong. Yeah, I mean, now that I think of it, I guess it does make sense. Everyone made fun of me. It was sort of a thing where, oh my God, What do you mean you've never gone on holidays to, say, the U.S.? They were making fun of me and I wanted to fit in, right, so that I wouldn't, like, be made fun of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Your brain built the dots is what it sounds like, which was, if I have these things, then people won't make fun of me. And then that protected you. Her first real encounter with money came at such an impressionable moment in her life that it kind of never left. Even after we grow up, the negative associations can stay locked in our brains as adults. The Zoom session lasted about an hour. A few days later, I checked in with Aisha to see how she was feeling. I felt so good because, I mean, for the most part, I'm always like thinking, am I just incredibly um, selfish, like always wanting Mm. more money? But then when she... When she said, like, look, this is more common than you think. It's not, it's not a you thing. Right. Um, yeah, it, honestly, I'm not going to lie. It made me feel better and less alone. She says she's going to try to work on some of the concrete advice Lindsay gave her. She's procrastinating a bit, but, you know, forming new habits is tough. And really, the things that we learn as kids, they stick with us in ways that can be hard to shake off even if you've had years of therapy. And in fact, maybe you never quite learn how to let it go. You just figure out new ways to live with it. All right, that is all for this week's show. If you relate to Aisha's story and want to share your own experiences with us, you can always reach me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. Also, if you want more This Is Uncomfortable content, you can subscribe to our newsletter. Each week I write about what's on my mind and the team shares some great recommendations on things to read and watch. You can subscribe at marketplace.org slash comfort. This is Uncomfortable is me, Rima Hreis, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Peter Balanon Rosen, Camila Kerwin, and Mark Hay Green. Editing by Karen Duffin and Megan Dietry. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. Star Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. Special thanks this week to Marissa Cabrera. And our theme music is by Wonderly. 
All right. I'll catch y'all next week. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.